Good day and welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Climate Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. Pennsylvania's economy has long been tied to its fossil fuel industry. In the 19th century, the state's pioneering coal and oil industries fueled America's industrial revolution, and thousands of coal mining sites opened over decades that followed. Yet over a century later, Pennsylvania oil production has practically ceased, while many of its coal mines have closed as the state's energy focus has turned to shale natural gas. In today's podcast, we'll look at the environmental damage that has been left after mines have been abandoned. Our focus will be on the anthracite coal industry of northeastern Pennsylvania, where mining output peaked exactly 100 years ago and where a much smaller industry continues to mine today. We'll also look at how Pennsylvania regulators and the anthracite industry are working together to correct some of the region's lingering pollution problems through the tightly regulated remining of some of those old sites. Our guests are John Stefanko. Deputy Secretary for the Office of Active and Abandoned Mine Operations at Pennsylvania's Department of Environmental Protection. And we have Greg Driscoll, President and Chief Executive Officer of Blashack Coal Company, an anthracite mining company in Mahanoy City, Pennsylvania. Greg and John, welcome to the podcast. Thank Thank you. you. Pleasure to be here. So, John, I thought we could start with you uh, looking at a bit of the anthracite region's history as well as obviously the coal industry. Tell us a little bit about the industry's growth and decline over the last century or so. Well, as you indicated, it did had a it peaked about a hundred years ago, but that was the Industrial Revolution in Pennsylvania, and that was the whole was fueled all of coal, whether it be bituminous and or the anthracite. Pretty much over the years, I would say it had a peak back then, and then it slowly settled down into what I would call like a regular state of uh, production of the two coal seams that we have, the anthracite and the bituminous. I'd say the anthracite is most steady. It has its ebbs and flows over the years, but for the most part, it's relatively steady. Um, Now, I just want to make a a clarification for the listeners, the difference between anthracite and bituminous coal. We're talking about anthracite here specifically. What exactly is that used for and how does that differ from the market and the mining for bituminous coal? Anthracite has a number of differences. First of all, it is the highest rank of coal uh, that exists in in the development, if you will, of this carbonaceous material. It's harder. It's higher carbon content. It tends to be lower volatility, lower ash content. Um, it is, uh, it's hotter, it burns hotter, and, and when it burns, it burns cleanly. No particulate, little, very little particulate, very little smoke when it burns. This is one of the things that drove some of its uses. It, uh, it became much more useful in transportation because of the lack of smoke, in home heating because of the lack of particulates and smoke. It also has a, a crystalline structure that allows it to be used in applications like water filtration. Since the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, uh, into the 20th century, water Filtration has been a pretty major use of anthracite with water uh, treatment plants, municipal water treatment plants all over the country and now all over the world using anthracite in, in, their, in their filter beds. Uh, in addition to that, it's used in steelmaking as a replacement for metallurgical coke, uh, most particularly in the electric arc furnace industry, which makes it very popular in the United States where there is a huge EAF uh, presence. And then lately, uh, one of the, uh, every once in a while you get some fun in, the, in a business, uh, the anthracite is used in pizza, coal-fired pizza ovens hmm. around the country. And 
not a lot, probably 10,000 tons a year, 15,000 tons a year, which is not very big, but it's a growing market right now. And uh, again, for all the same reasons, smokeless burn, very hot, even burn, very long burn, it creates the ideal opportunity to cook a thin crust pizza in 45 seconds. So Greg, I wanted to follow up on that. So so 100 years ago, the industry peaked. I think there were in excess of 200,000 people employed. Where do we stand today in terms of the industry specifically in terms of how many people are employed? What's the output? Uh, what's the kind of the community outlook? It, it, you're, you're right. It went from about 200,000 workers producing 100 million tons in, two, in 1917 to about 1,000 workers all in today. John may have some very specific statistics here, but about 1,000 workers producing about 2 million tons, 2 to 3 million tons a year of prepared coal for sale. So a huge change. And then after World War II, the change was very, very dramatic. Uh, as John indicated, it reached a, a, an equilibrium point sort of in the 40s and 50s, and then after the Korean War, really began to decline, driven by a number of things, including sort of the development of petroleum fuels, the development and, and uh, availability of natural gas, all of which had similar applications and but were easier to handle and use. So uh, we, here we are today. We're sitting here with 40, 50 companies producing two to two and a half million tons of coal, employing about 1,000 people. Uh, but we could talk a little bit about sometime about what I, what, what, what I think might be in the future. Yeah, and just to add that, I do have some actually specific numbers. Pennsylvania as a whole is producing about – in 2016, these are our 2016 numbers, produced over 52 million tons of coal um, in the state of Pennsylvania. Of that number, about seven point, over 7.6 million tons was produced in our anthracite area. Now, that is down from its previous year, um, roughly about 12 percent. Um, but that comes from our underground mines, about 91,000 tons of that. Our surface are producing a little over 3 million tons of anthracite coal, and that's with 53 mines. And then coal refuse, which is a big chunk of what we do, which I know we are going to get into as far as remining is concerned because that's a big chunk, that produces about four point, over, a little over 4.4 million tons. Um, in the anthracite area in 2016, um, we had about 900 employees, which is down of about 108 from 1,000 in the previous year, which is a decrease of about 11%. Overall, across the state, it's about a minus 22% decline as far as actual mining. The, the current reality on the ground is that there are a lot of abandoned mines in the anthracite region. That's not exclusive to the anthracite region, but want to kind of get an idea of, of how many we have uh, and what are the environmental impacts. Um, in Pennsylvania as a whole, yes, we do have a, we are the largest in the nation. Um, we have over 180,000 acres of abandoned mine lands. We have over 140 abandoned refuse piles, and we have about 5,700 miles of polluted streams as a result of past mining. Um, with regards to the anthracite area, about 821 miles of those streams fall within the anthracite area. And with regards to the refuse piles, there's about 167 of those that fall within the anthracite area. So yes, there is a lot of AML abandoned mine land uh, impacts that have been created because of the industrial revolution that Pennsylvania needs to address and continues to address and works with our industry partners to help do that because we do not have all the funding we need. Did the mining companies just walk away? Um, Early on, when the Industrial Revolution, the regulations that were in place were a little bit different than where they are now as far as providing guarantees that there would be monies left if the company would walk away. It was more about coal production, getting the coal, once it's produced, moving on to the next site. It's, it was feeding the need, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. yeah, the uh, the legend, which is sort of, you know, some of the things I listen to is that during that, those years, as John pointed out, when the demand was so strong, 
companies in some ways were not encouraged to st- stand back and, and reclaim. And uh, uh, but but as John indicated, you know, continue to produce. And that's actually one of the unique features in eastern Pennsylvania in anthracite mining. Essentially, every permit, and John knows this, you know, is is a reclamation and remining permit. And I often say when I'm when I'm asked to speak is that in Pennsylvania in the east and in, in the anthracite region, we have sort of a unique privilege and opportunity in, in that our, our relationship with our regulators, uh, you know, DEP particularly, is that they get the problem and the, that we didn't cause the problem, the current operators, but that we are over a long period of time, we can solve a lot of these problems by mining from the surface down, uh, daylighting that, that those old workings, rebuilding them and repacking them from the bottom up. And that only, not only takes care of the surface, but it takes care of uh, the way water drains through the, through the earth, the way uh, acid mine uh, drainage forms and how it, how it gets to the streams. And, you know, if we're patient with this over the long period of time, the, the, this, this industry will solve a huge part of that problem in eastern Pennsylvania. Well, so I wanted to actually take a step back on that. So that, that brings in your kind of the work where the, where the coal companies come in, the anthracite companies, and the work that you're doing at DEP. You mentioned a few minutes ago, very briefly, that there's an economic aspect to this. You've obviously got all these many thousands of abandoned mines. Uh, once upon a time, it, as you said, uh, Greg companies could walk away from these mines. Essentially, now there's environmental issues need to be resolved. There's obviously shortage of money to do that. Can you describe, I guess, John, a little bit about the program from the state that actually enables this, this collaboration? Well, there, there's, there's two programs. We have an actual Bureau of Abandoned Mine Reclamation program where we actually coal companies um, on every ton of coal that is produced across the nation, whether it be surface or underground, pays a fee into a national bank, so to speak, um, which is uh, then uh, provided grants, which we call Title IV federal grants, back to the states that have had uh, their lands impacted by coal past coal mining, and so they get an annual grant, which is then where the Commonwealth can go in and do the actual reclamation. But those funds will do not adequately or will not adequately cover what we need to do with the $15 billion problem we have in PA. So we look for any opportunities we can um, in working with our partners, whether in whether it be a coal company, whether it be other industries or even local watershed groups, where we can find those opportunities. And we've had a lot of great partnerships and are continuing, and I would say it's even becoming more prevalent these days in working with industry um, to help clean up some of our past problems while they're currently mining moving forward in the future. So would it be too strong to say that you need the mining companies to mine to actually resolve some of these issues? Otherwise, there just wouldn't be resources to take care of it? I'd say that's a that's a good way to put it. I mean, uh, especially in the anthracite area, because the majority, if not all, of the mining that actually is occurring in the anthracite area is essentially remining. They are going back in redisturbing an area that had already been mined maybe multiple times before the current company got there. So by them going back in there, one, they're recovering a resource. They're also reclaiming the site for us, such that we would not have to come back in and use dollars that we can use elsewhere. Now, I, I've gone up and seen, seen Blashak Cole's yeah. site. It's a, it's a huge open mine, uh, and some of the land is, is reclaimed where the mining is done. Can you talk through the process of the remining, uh, what happens in terms of you know, the water runoff and, and, and what that means? Sure. And, you know, when we take this sort of a, it's almost a generational issue, the mine, you saw our Primrose mine. Uh, so you saw a mine where, where I think I said to you at the time, you see every aspect of mining here. You see exploration, you see mining, you see, you see backfilling, and then you see full reclamation, and it's all going on at the same time. Uh, starting at the beginning, 
meaning when we want to open a mine. And these we, are underground mines originally, these right? Were, these were primarily underground, not just mm. under, because as, as John said, as they were originally one, one two, or three times mined. So very frequently we will come across a place actually at Primrose that you saw a, a, a big portion of that lease was surface mined to a shallow level because that's what could be afforded at the time. But it was, and it was left behind. So now as we go through that, starting at the very beginning of the, of the process, we have to be permitted and bonded. Uh, we have full cost bonding in Pennsylvania, and that full cost bonding is designed to assure the state and 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 the population that when the job is done, if we don't if we don't finish the finish the reclamation, which we will we will, but if we didn't finish it, there is money there set aside, ready that that is able to do a, a full reclamation of the site. So that's a that's an initial process, and that process continues all along the mining. Sometimes we backfill, and we can reduce the bind the bonding a little bit, and then we dig a bigger hole, and we have to increase the bonding. Uh, Blashock has about fifteen million dollars in bonding up with DEP uh, right now for our for our three mines. So uh, so that so then once once we've uh, identified a, a promising uh, opportunity, then we go in and we do we do a design, a very detailed design, try to drill enough to understand where the coal is best and thickest and, and where we can go get it and then do a design for whether we do truck and shovel or whether we use a drag line. You saw a drag line at Primrose. Uh, we, we go through that and that we have a floating pit. So that pit floats either from west to east or east to west. And as we, as we mine, let's, let's talk about east to west, then we backfill behind it. Now, backfilling is not the full job because in, at the end of the day, it has to be backfilled, it has to be graded, it has to be seeded and planted, and it has to be established for us to get bond release uh, on that. So that's a, that's a very, very deliberate and planful process that we go through to, to balance you know, all the various costs of the site. But it's also uh, at Primrose, we're likely to be there for 20 years or 25 years. Uh, at the end of the day, when, when when we walk away from it, what will be left is the current pit. Everything else will have been reclaimed, and then we'll be we'll we'll, we'll reclaim the final pit, and then have bond release from that, and you know move on to the next opportunity. But it's a it's a very it's it's a very collaborative and cooperative program between ourselves and DEP in this case on that bonding and managing it and the, the process and the. Uh, the formulas that have to be followed. So, so just to clarify, these these are these are mines that were maybe mined fifty, a hundred years ago yes. underground. There are seams that go underground. You basically clear all the rock from up top of those seams, get the remaining coal out, and then and fill it back in. How does that impact the water uh, issue? As we as we remove the workings, when when you go underground in mine, what you find is you find uh, shafts and openings and tunnels and timbers and you know all the results of that mining. So when we go down and we uncover that, we we pull out the remaining coal. The coal itself and the carbonaceous material around the coal is a source of acidity for for uh, for water that kind of runs into the drainage uh, the drainage pools. Uh, we remove that uh, very effectively, and then do a much more what, what I would call a more natural repacking of the of the underground from the bottom up. So, you know, we go down as far as 350, 400 feet from the surface, and then we pack that back in from the bottom up, taking it all the way up to a defined surface uh, uh, contour that, that, is, that is in the regulations, and then, you know, make sure that, that not only is it just rock, which most of this ground is rock, uh, but not only rock, but then a, a surface that is plantable and, and able to support vegetation. So it's, a, it's an ongoing, as I said, 20, 25-year process from, from start to finish in, in most cases. As a result of that, we've, we've removed channels for water runoff. We've improved the surface ability to handle water in a natural way, the way 
the way the earth was designed originally. And then that, that takes care of sort of, you know, much of the acidity that comes out. And we've seen cases in Pennsylvania, John probably knows exactly where some of them are, where we've seen streams go from three and a half pH back to sort of neutral pH and able to support uh, life again. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good collaborative program and, and, and we find it to be beneficial. And, and kind of what Greg is alluding to or what he pretty much has described is basically is the plan that he provides to us is a permit that we have to give them to mine in Pennsylvania. And we will not issue a permit if we feel you're going to further degrade an area. So we will not issue a permit unless we feel you're going to improve. In these cases, it's always an improvement. But we obviously look at all the various things that they will be doing as they do their mining to ensure that it is done in an environmentally protective manner. And as as the way he described it and the way most of these are occurring up there is that everything they do do is an improvement to what was there before. Um, Sometimes to the point where you're eliminating a lot of these issues that were occurred in the past. But our job as a regulator is to ensure that whenever we issue any permit, it is done in an environmentally protective manner and will potentially improve the existing conditions that were already there. What does the data show in terms of the cleanup impact on the groundwater and the streams? And I guess looking forward, you know, how long is this process going to take of remediation of the whole area? Is that even the, the goal here or are we just kind of taking what we can get? I mean, the ultimate goal in PA is to clean it all up. We want to clean up all 5,700 miles of streams. We'd love to eliminate 180,000 acres. Um, So it's probably not going to be done in my lifetime, probably not in Greg's or your lifetime. Um, But that's why we have to continue to find ways to maximize the available dollars or the available opportunities that we have to clean up as much as we can moving forward. I'd say we've made a lot of inroads, but we still have a very, very long way to go. Now, I want to ask you, uh, uh, Greg, uh, there's also coal piles in the area. I drove up there. It was quite striking how large these black mountains are. Also a little bit of dust in the air. What's being done about that? Yeah, let, let's, uh, let's, let me address that in two pieces because I think one thing we haven't t- talked about too much is mining is intrusive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not only intrusive on the land. It's intrusive on communities. The good news in eastern Pennsylvania is these are communities that were built around mining, so there is some legacy benefit to that. However, you know, we we need to approach our life as we need to earn the right to be near these communities. We drill, we blast, we have big machines, there's dust. I mean, there there are all these issues, the, wa- the water issues that are, that are there. We need to you know, earn the right to that. So between DEP and the Mine Safety and Health Administration, we also, you know, pay pay a lot of attention to dust levels every day. We're not we're not sending dust out through the communities. How we drill and blast, we want to make sure that the, that the impact of that blast stays within the pit, that even the dust doesn't exceed the pit. So at times we have to water before we before we blast and whatnot. So, you know, we we have uh, we have that sort of ongoing responsibility to be a good member of the community. Uh, and to earn the right to be there, you know, and, and you know, we, we take that very seriously. And I think most of the miners do. So, you know, that, you know, that issue is there. And then returning to your issue of, of what we call the calm, calm and refuse banks. Yes, they're everywhere. There are hundreds of millions of tons of this material. About 300,000 tons. 300,000? 300, I have the number, 300 million tons. Million, yeah, right, right. 300, 300 million, million tons, correct. yeah. Uh, but, I would say hundreds of a hundred million tons or more has already been processed in the local uh, cogeneration facilities that burn anthracite refuse. So these are piles that were developed primarily in previous generations when 
there was nothing to do with these. They didn't know where to go with them, and they built the piles, and they built them, and they're bigger and bigger. And this is what they pulled out of the mines, right? Well, this is this is proce- primarily this is processing of the coal and the rock that was remaining from the processing of the cleaning of the coal. And the technology at the time wasn't as good as the technology we have today. So now the technology we have today allows the ability to go back in and take these piles and you can actually gain some value from them as far as burning it and eliminating the piles. Yeah, so there, uh, and I don't know the, the the exact genesis timing of the of the power plant projects, but there are eight to ten power plants in eastern Pennsylvania that were designed and built to burn anthracite refuse. Uh, they were given certain uh, benefits uh, relative to utility rates to allow them to continue, and they have done a great job of cleaning up hundreds of millions of tons of this material. They're in a bit of jeopardy right now because power prices are so low. Uh, due to natural gas prices and 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 you know other 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 factors, that it's it's difficult at times for these to continue. But I think these this is another step in in a process where they need to continue to do their job, or those piles will exist forever because there's very little else you can do with them. So um, processing today is not really adding to those piles. Uh, those you know we we're getting much less waste. All the refuse goes back into the mine uh, as we backfill the mines. We try to take a, the, the finest material, which has sort of carbonaceous content to it, and and use that in the power plants or or recover more of the coal from that. So there's ongoing development of how to maximize the value and the capture of the carbon from that. But the, another legacy problem that built over previous generations that now has a solution that it's not not a short term solution. It's a long term solution. But it needs to be continually uh, active in order for that to, to to for them to finish the job. Cogen plants, and as we all know right now, and or any coal-fired plants aren't exactly the most popular right now. So it's a balance because yes, there every industrial thing that occurs in the state of Pennsylvania, whether you're building something or processing something, there's an environmental impact. DEP's goal is to minimize that impact impact to the extent possible. So now we have to weigh the options of, yeah, there's an environmental benefit from cogen plants and the coal-fired plants because what they're doing is eliminating environmental hazards to us. But in the same respect, yes, they are having an environmental impact. So you have to weigh those different options. And, and the environmental benefits, I would say at this point, especially when it comes to these refuse piles, is probably outweighing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are struggling. Um, we are working with them because we feel there is an environmental benefit to the work and they have eliminated hundreds of piles. I mean, in hundreds of millions of tons of material. And actually some of the byproducts that they produce helps address other environmental issues. And just by eliminating the pile itself, which has erosion and sedimentation control, possibly water issues. Some of these piles potentially have mine fires in them, which then is also an air quality issue. So there's a whole list of environmental you know, factors out there that you have to weigh with both. There are public safety factors as well. Four-wheelers love to drive up and down refuse piles. They just love it, and it is incredibly dangerous. So, you know, again, you know, you, you try to manage that as well as you can. However, these are open lands that, that anyone can gain access to at any time. Very, very difficult for anyone to prevent this, but the way, best way to prevent it is to eliminate the piles. And so, there's so- an economic not to interrupt, but there was an economic benefit to this 
by them going in and taking a pile that was never meant to be there in the first place, you're essentially restoring that piece of property. And a lot of these piles are literally in the middle of towns. You're restoring this piece of property to a state that it can be economically developed. We, I just recently, am, we are actually working with a cogen plant to see if we can work out a partnership where they're going to go in and process a piece of material, and they will reclaim the site to the point that they can develop a peewee football field on the property right adjacent to a small park. So there are other there are economic benefits to it as well. What also leaves the land looking better, going back to the remediation, I saw, you know, you're planting trees on top of what was used to be a pit. And, and, you know, if we can go out to, I think, Northumberland County is a great example, right, John, of, of, you know, what they've done is they have taken, the county has taken control of some of these reclaimed lands and, and actually some that had some some open spit, open pits on them because they have unique geologic features. And they have created a, a set of parks and trails and camping grounds and whatnot that that are good uses of this. Blashock has, has donated land to this uh, that we had reclaimed. Um, there are there are uh, what I'll call organized and safe four-wheel and RV ATV parks park. out there, ATV parks out there. So there are economic opportunities out of this. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's really nice to see counties taking a progressive view toward it and, and looking at how can we use this more productively. And they're actually bringing tourism up into uh, into the anthracite region that otherwise wouldn't have been there at all. Well, let me ask you about that economic issue a little bit more, uh, Greg, if I may. You're mining in a relatively small market you're serving, and you've got a lot of obviously regulatory requirements. Mm-hmm. How profitable is this industry? The industry has not been profitable. It's not the regulations. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, it's really the coal markets in general, which with coal being so sort of trodden down and, and, and cheap in general, that affects the anthracite market. So, I, you know, I, I would not put any uh, any burden of, of, of unprofitability on the regulations. The regulations are necessary and I think right. I mean, I don't see – I see very few things where it's like over the over the top. You know, it happens, but it, it doesn't happen often. And, and I don't think with DEP we have any of that. Really, this is a you know this is a case where we need to find good, strong markets for our coal beyond the markets that we serve today, uh, because these are these are very economically depressed communities. I mean, you you saw Mahanoy City. Uh, it is it's sad. This is a, these are towns that once had 15,000, 20,000 people in them. You know, Centralia was a town with 15,000 people. Now it's gone. I mean, and I mean gone. <laughs> There's nothing there. And the whole region is like that. However, I look at this and say if we're producing from the mines, uh, you know, uh, John, John has some other, uh, other elements in his statistics, but from the mining itself, if we're producing 2 million tons today, the reserves would easily allow us to produce 10 million tons for many, many years. And if we could find markets that uh, took advantage of the qualities of this anthracite coal and, and could do so effectively, we could, we could lower our cost structures because we, we would be mining more efficiently at, in, in bigger, bigger uh, tonnages. We would affect the economics of these regions. I think there would be a very positive uh, impact on these communities uh, over the long term. So this is one of the things that makes me sort of bullish about the potential but we're not we're not at that potential yet. I mean, there's there's more in front of us than 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 uh, than, than, than is present right now in terms of these new markets. But there are good opportunities out there, and I think this is something that could return to some vitality uh, over the next twenty years. John, I want to ask you specifically a question regarding enforcement. One of the issues um, that the EPA has raised in this regarding the state of Pennsylvania is it has serious concerns 
about understaffing and lack of enforcement resources within the Pennsylvania DEP. Um, With regards to the Federal Oversight Agency, with regards to the mining program, it's actually the Federal Office of Surface Mining and Reclamation, although we do issue permits that are delegated from EPA, such as the MPDS permits. So, yeah, the yes, there is the struggle with overall for DEP as a whole with regards to staffing to making sure we have adequate staffing. Um, it's slightly different in the mining program in the fact that we do have a federal oversight agency that's not specifically EPA, but we still must abide by those specific regulations. Um, we have our own mining staff inspectors that actually do that, they as well as inspecting the actual mining operation to ensure they're properly mining. It's also within DEP itself has delegated the water responsibility to our mining inspectors to make sure that the water is being properly controlled, being properly treated, and ensuring that it's not being discharged um, without meeting its effluent limits. So internally within the mining program, yes, we still have those struggles, but maybe not as impacted as, say, the broader Commonwealth state has with regards to all of the other water. You know, obviously, there's drinking water, there's industrial dischargers, there's a lot of other water within PA that has to is overseen by EPA. But within the mining context, yes, we have our own struggles, but maybe not to the extent that the Commonwealth as a whole has. But it is a struggle. John, what do we see in the future in terms of uh, continued remediation um, and the outlook for, for you know, improving the, the environmental quality in these areas? Remediation is going to continue. Um, the, the fee that I had mentioned earlier is in effect till 2021, um, and it's a, it's a multi-state fee, and we belong to a national organization, and we were going to pursue it to go past 2021. Um, this but is the fee the, that they the pay fees, into? The fees that are paid by the coal companies into the abandoned mine land fund on the federal level it's authorized until 2021. So Pennsylvania will continue to get grants until 2021. And then at that point, some decision will have to be made whether it'll be extended, reauthorized, or whatever. But up until that point, we're still moving forward. We have a full complement, we have a full bureau that that's their full charge is to address this. And then also it w- on the active side, continue to work with partners such as the mining industry so that we can continue to one, mine coal in an environmentally protective manner, but also reap the environmental benefits of the reclamation work that's occurring um, in the anthracite area? I, I, I think on our side, I think I, I see two things happening over the next 15 years or so in the anthracite. You know, uh, anthracite operators, uh, uh, there are still a number of what I'll call mom and pop operators in the anthracite. And uh, that has been changing slowly. But as these generations move on or, or get to the age where they can't do it, I will see, I, I would expect to see those operations either cease or be taken over by larger operations that are more professionally run. Uh, We've seen some of that in the last 10 years in in, in the anthracite region. Uh, uh, Bruce Toll acquired a large piece of property in uh, in the Tamaqua area. Uh, That that business is being run by Robindale, which is a large organization from Western PA. Um, They're they're doing a great job. Redding does a great job. They they have uh, activities, Pagnotti, uh, and and I think Blashock falls into that category. The, The family sold the business in 2009. And we have been building a, a more professional presence in the region, engineering, uh, you know, the ability to work with, with our regulators uh, as well as, as the operating uh, staff. So I think, I think that change is going to be a positive change for 
the the overall operation of of the industry, the safety of the industry, the environmental compliance of the industry. I think that'll be a good thing. I think the second thing is that as we continue to investigate these new product opportunities, um, if if they're real, if they're out there, and and we can we can produce the product for it. I think some of the problems that John alluded to in terms of staffing and, 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 and you, know, the, you know how much how much they can spend, some of the way to secure that is mine more coal. <laughs> you know, if there's more employment, if, if we can if we can make these these uh, communities healthier, that generates revenue to the state. That helps the budget process. That that sort of helps the the ability to, to fund the programs that need to be funded overall. So, I'm bullish. I, I I'm not. I'm not impatient about it because I think that would be foolish, but I am bullish about the long term and the prospects for anthracite becoming a more important commodity in the world, not in an energy sense so much, but in a in a sense of environmental products like uh, like activated carbon, even some agricultural applications, maybe even pizza. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Eat more pizza. Eat more pizza. You kind of mentioned earlier about did the modern bought the market bottom out? I I would say. Yes, and probably towards the tail end of 2016, it did. And not just in the anthracite region, but across Pennsylvania, I would say the consolidation of coal companies has occurred. We saw, like um, like indicated, the small mom and pops that said, all right, we're done, we're moving on, and other companies stepped in and either took over the permit, they sold their assets. I mean, we in Pennsylvania have been very, very lucky compared to some of our sister states, like West Virginia and Kentucky. Um, we have a strong, you know, we work well with our uh, coal companies to the point where we weren't as at risk, I should say, with a lot of companies that went bankrupt in some of our sister states. Um, we have a lot. Of, but I'd say what has come to is it's either a big company or a middle company, not too many of the smaller companies. So what companies are left in producing are doing it in the most efficient manner. And they've addressed all the environmental issues in such a way with the new technologies that allows them to continue to exist and kind of move forward. Um, Energy coal is part of the energy portfolio PA. It's not going to go away anytime soon. It's not going to look like it did 100 years ago. It's not going to look like it did 50 years ago, probably not even like it did 10 years ago. But it will exist in a form because there's still a great economic driver to it, and there is a need for the products, whether it be the bituminous or the anthracite. All right, John and Greg, thanks for appearing on the podcast. And thank thank you. you. Thank you for having me, John. Good to be with you. John Stefanko is Deputy Secretary of the Office of Active and Abandoned Mine Operations at Pennsylvania's Department of Environmental Protection. Greg Driscoll is President and Chief Executive Officer of Boschock Coal Company. Dive deeper into energy policy by checking out research and blog posts from the Climate Center on our website. Our URL is climbandenergy.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening and have a great day. 